Welcome to the inaugural Adventure to Freedom podcast. I'm here with one of my best friends and uh, actor, Hollywood actor, uh, Calum Worthy. Uh, welcome, man. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Dude, I'm very excited to be here, man. Yeah, me too. It's kind of weird. This is uh, we're doing this. I'm so, excited. I've never yeah. felt more relaxed doing a podcast. Oh, it's we're on my bed. We're, we're on your bed. We're currently. On I'm my talking bed. to my best friend. This yeah. is pretty. It's pretty fun. I really uh, appreciate you coming to do this because, like I said, you know, I wanted to have someone who to to. to Start this off, someone who I, I knew didn't have to research that much. Yeah, uh, you know, you know everything about me. <laughs> a little bit better, yeah. Uh, so for those people out there who don't know as much as I know about you, yeah, um, you're you're an actor, yeah, in LA. Um, tell them a little bit about about who you are, what you've been on, and uh, yeah, yeah, man. Oh, so first and foremost, I'm Michael's one of Michael's best friends. I know first you. I know you have a couple best friends. Okay. I get that. Um, I'm just lucky to be one of them. Uh, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm an actor. I've been acting since I was nine. Actually, I started when I was four doing mm-hmm. theater here in, in, in Victoria, BC. Um, and then uh, when I was nine, I started working as an actor in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of lucked out pretty quick. I booked this, this miniseries called I Was a Rat. And I've been, I mean, I've been auditioning for a long time in my mind because yeah. I started when I was like nine. And then I was 10 when I booked this. So I felt I was like, I got a solid year of like auditioning. But um, I I kind of lucked into the industry at a really good time because it was when there was a lot of films coming into Vancouver and Victoria and um, there weren't a lot of young actors. There were quite a few, but compared to now, I feel like there's a, there was a lot less than, at least in my mind, that's how it felt. Okay. So um, I, I was able to work pretty quickly as soon as I started acting. I wasn't very good at the beginning. Like looking back, I'm like, oh man, I could have done a lot better. But um, It's a craft. It's a craft. It's like a craft. Anything, right? you're, exactly. You're going to be learning and... Yeah, and so anyway, I booked this this like mini series, and it kind of set me up for a little bit. And I thought that I was like not set me up like career wise, but just kind of gave me the confidence that I could actually maybe do this as a career, right. and maybe keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, then of course you, I hit this the period where like I, I had to actually learn how to act because I, I felt like <laughs> you were no it, longer a cute kid. I was only a cute kid, and like as a kid, I think that you don't have any like inhibitions like there's you're you just have clarity so if someone says like hey you gotta cry in the scene you're like okay and you can kind of cry but then you suddenly hit like 10 11 you play a lot so you make a lot of like imaginary like imaginary games and stuff exactly and you're you're not self-conscious yeah so then suddenly you hit like 11 12 and like 13 14 and your ego gets involved okay and that was a huge thing for me so suddenly i was self-conscious about what i was doing and i think almost i was going through puberty and just feeling awkward and my voice was changing and i was growing and I, I still worked, but I wasn't working as consistently right. for a few years after I was a rat. Mm. And um, was your was your next consistent gig then uh, after that Austin and Ellie on the Disney Channel? Well, I booked. I mean, I was doing movies and TV shows, so it was like every few months I would do a project of some kind. Okay. But I was never like carrying my own show until Stormworld. Right. That's Stormworld was the first time I was like one of the stars of a TV show, mm-hmm. and that was. When you look back at your life and you're like, what are those like significant moments? Stormworld was one of them. Right. Because I lived away from home for the first time. I was 17 and it was in grade 11. And I feel like had I not booked Stormworld, I may or may not have just continued acting like this. I okay. may have taken a break and gone to university. I'm not too sure. But because Stormworld happened, I it, gave, I, and it took so long to film. We filmed for like seven or eight months and most of it was in Australia. And my parents came with me. And it was a very fun, exciting experience. It kind of gave me the confidence to be like, okay, I want to keep going with this. Like, I really do love this. I feel like I can do this, and um, that's what gave me the the um, 
kind of the uh, the kick the kick in the butt to keep going afterwards. And also, um, I did this other project, this one episode of a show called Flashpoint. I remember that episode. And yeah, and that was like the most challenging role mm. I had really had in terms emotionally yeah. up until that point. It was a lot where... more dramatic than uh, what I'd ever seen you in before. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So it was like for me that was a huge moment. Like those two things was kind of like a one-two punch where it was like I felt like I could I could. Um, for those who were listening, Kale, he was you were playing in Flashpoint a uh, like a school shooter. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was it was a, a quite a dramatic departure from from the stuff that he'd done. Uh, well, most of the stuff you've even done after that too. Like it was, oh it was yeah. Kind of yeah. Until uh, some of the more recent stuff you're doing now, which we'll we'll talk about in in a little bit. Totally. But. Yeah, and that was so th- those two projects were really huge, um, in terms of like giving me the confidence to move forward mm. after high school, um, and then. Uh, yeah, so like I finished, I graduated high school, and then I started moving down to LA because my um, my manager Linda Carter was uh, going down to LA a lot, and she was like, "I think you should, you should spend some more time down here." I had an agent down there, but I hadn't really ever really spent a lot of time there. So okay. I thought, let's go down there for a little for, for a little while, just for a few weeks to kind of try it out for pilot season. And um, I I'm a huge Steven Spielberg fan, and I uh, so I, I always like had this like vision that maybe like one day I could work with the guy and that was always like my that was like my number one guy at that point still is obviously you haven't um, you haven't worked with I've never yet. worked with him but I almost did did you yeah so there was this movie called I am number four and I auditioned okay. for it yeah. and at the time it, it did pretty well but at the time they thought it was gonna be like the next Twilight like they thought this was gonna I, be I like a huge the book series. Yeah. yeah so um so I, I auditioned for it and at that point I was I was thinking to myself like okay this is like probably the coolest thing I could possibly get at this point because totally. Spielberg was a producer. It was like a DreamWorks movie. It was going to be this big budget action movie. I was like, this is so cool. So all the stuff I was editing for, like I, I was thinking, I was like, well, if I had my pick, like I would do that movie because that's mm-hmm. insane. Get to spend like four months filming a movie that Spielberg is producing. That's, well, like, that's insane. Filming and, and learning at the same time too. If you're, if you're being directed by, you know, one of the greats, you're totally, you're going to learn a lot through you know, osmosis or by watching. And exactly. Exactly. So one of the audition and I had a really good time. Mm. And, uh, it was, it was one of those things where like, I, I went in, had an awesome time, but it was like, never thought I'd, I'd ever hear anything back from it. Cause it was, I thought it was just too big for me. Like I thought I was, wasn't at that level yet. I get a phone call like two days later after I was kind of deciding whether or not I should stay in, in LA or, or come back for a few weeks. And they got this call being like, you're pinned for I'm number four. Wow. I was like, and it wasn't for the main guy. The main guy's like a beautiful, good looking guy. It was like, it was like the geeky friend, <laughs> but still I was like, this is crazy. I was like, I've never been up for something like this. And, uh, so they called and they're like, you're, you're pinned for it, which means you're one of the main options. It doesn't okay. mean you have it, but it means that in their eyes, they're looking at you as one of the main choices. So I was like, that's insane. They're like, yes, they want you to read with the, the director next week. So I pushed my flight so I could stay there. And that was around the time where I was kind of deciding like long-term plans. Should I or not right. stay there? I did I did the callback. Then I found out the producers were going to watch my tape. And I was wow. like, whoa, whoa, do you mean like there's a chance Spielberg could see my tape? There's no guarantee that he did, mm-hmm. but there's a chance he did. And I was like, even that's pretty cool. Yeah, he might and have was, you in mind for a, a future project or something. Yeah, you never know. I mean, I'm sure he doesn't anymore, but mm-hmm. at the time I was like, oh, that's pretty pretty cool. And that was one of those moments where I was like, I want more of those opportunities and those feelings because that mm-hmm. just felt so cool to me. What What is that feeling that, like, when you get Can I sit back job? here with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of nice. Like, it is nice, yeah. yeah. Um, what is that feeling like when you get chosen for a role like how is it exciting is it nervous how do you feel when you when you've actually been hired i guess it feels so good like it's it's weird i remember getting my first role when i was nine 
<clears throat> a show, a show called Night Visions, mm-hmm. and uh, Bill Pullman was the director of it. <clears throat> Sorry, a bit of a cough. And uh, I remember being at the BC Ferries, which is the ferry that goes from Victoria to Vancouver and back. And that's what I take on every audition. I've been auditioning for about like about a year at that point, and I got a phone call being like, "You just booked this role," mm-hmm. and I remember that feeling of being like, I don't know, I've never done like ecstasy or anything, but it, <laughs> yeah. it felt like that. I was nine years old and I was like, this... I hope at nine years old you But like... <laughs> pretty raging kid. But, but I thought myself, I'm like, oh, this is insane. And like, I look mm. back and whenever someone mentions like what being like high is like or whatever, I'm always like, it must be that feeling. Because it's like my adrenaline was just like pumping and I was right. like, this is crazy. Mm. Like, it was, it was, it was unlike anything else I'd ever experienced. And I still feel that way. <laughs> like, it hasn't Good. gone away. Yeah. Like, whatever, like, 80-something projects later, I still feel that every time I get the phone call. One of, I think, your your best-known projects um, that you were doing for, for the longest period of time is uh, is Austin Alley. And you yeah. played Des. the lovable, uh, kind of... Goofy silly... sidekick. Yeah, Des. Yeah. Uh, how was that experience, like, having that kind of recurring role where you were one of the main characters... Um, people started to really recognize you too after yeah it was it was really interesting mm. it was um it was it was it was a huge learning curve for me because, in, in what way um well it was for one it was doing a multicam show okay. which if anyone doesn't know a multicam is like a sitcom like where it's in front of a live audience so you instead of filming a normal show like a modern family show mm. you just film every episode um on a sound stage it's it's a normal kind of process like doing a film on a sitcom, you rehearse for three days, then you film for one, then you film for another day in front of a live audience. So there's like 200 people that come in, right. and basically watch you run through all the scenes you haven't filmed yet, and their laughter is what becomes the laugh track. Is that ever awkward then when, like, say you've been rehearsing and then you do this live taping, Yeah. and like, are, there must be some jokes that don't hit. Oh yeah, and honestly, that's I loved it because you get the instant reaction so you know if it works or not like for mm-hmm. comedy i think sitcoms are so awesome because i went to bed every night feeling like okay we got it because mm-hmm. if it didn't work we'd try another joke and you always have backup jokes for everything you always have okay. options and like they like the writers are always rewriting stuff too like on the day they're like okay that didn't work but if we adjust it by like this i think it could work i went to bed every friday night being like okay we got the episode in the can then i went to other projects yeah. that didn't have that mm-hmm. and i'd be one of the directors being like wait did, did, did we get it? And he's like, yeah, we got it. I'm like, there's, there's no laughter. He's like, we can't laugh. Like, yeah, there's no one else here. There's no, <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah. yeah. What, was the boom guy going to laugh? Like, <laughs> yeah. He'll ruin the shot if he does that. Yeah. That's how you know it's a really <clears throat> good joke, though. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but so how did that even come to be? Why are sit- No, like, why are sitcoms a thing? Like, why why is there a live audience? I, I don't um, I don't actually know. I assume it would come from theater. Like, yeah. it, was, like it was an easy transition from theater mm. to, to television. But I actually don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I, I assume it would be some connection between like vaudeville and those kinds of shows. Yeah, and then it slowly transitioned to television, and then mm. us kind of con- continuing that tradition. Yeah, it just seemed kind of. It is kind of funny though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it it's because it, hearing from what <clears throat> you're, where you've said and you know coming to set with you and yeah, um, it is very different from doing a film. Yeah, or very different. You know? Um, so when you you've been on Austin, like what was. What were some of the other things you learned? So it was, it was mainly career-wise, or was it also um, trying to learn and kind of now deal with this attention you were getting? That was that was a huge component. I remember we went to Disneyland, mm. and um, <clears throat> sorry, got the scoffs a little. 
Uh, remember we went to Disneyland after the first episode yeah. premiered? And, uh, you're, you're allowed to cough, too. It's okay. okay, thanks. Yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's just water right there. Like, <laughs> all right, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. um, you know. Okay, as long as you're cool with getting sick. I, I, I'm no. going to make you very sick throughout this. Um, so I remember going to Disneyland uh, with the whole cast, mm. like the creators. Like, it was like kind of like a Christmas celebration before the Christmas break. Okay. And our first episode premiered like a week before. Mm. We went to Disneyland, and I remember like there was a ton of people running up to us. We kind of got mobbed. And at that point, I'd been recognized like once in a blue moon for stuff. Like here and there, people would be like, oh, I think I saw you in that. But it wasn't, it wasn't a lot. Yeah. I was never like freaked out by it. Mm-hmm. So we walk into Disneyland and we got mobbed by like a hundred people. And it was wow. like quite con- constant where people were just like, coming up to us asking for photos. And I was like, whoa, this is very strange. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I always had this vision in my mind of what that was like, mm-hmm. of what like fame was like or what being recognized was like. And then I realized that what it really is, is at least for, in my experience, is you feel like you have this responsibility to make someone's day by okay. an interaction. I don't know if I make their day. That might be putting a lot of, making me sound better than I am. But no, I'm sure you do make a nice... lot of people's day. Like, they're excited. Yeah, like, like give them a nice experience. It. I've seen you, you know, sometimes it is annoying when you're Yeah, I know when we hang out. You. Yeah, but you've been but, very, very gracious about that. But you are also gracious with, like, giving people your time, and um, they are they're pumped up. They get pumped up. And yeah. you, I, it's funny, like, you don't feel... I, at least in my experience, I don't get, like, an ego boost from it. Like, I don't feel cooler because of it. I just feel like, okay, I want to make sure that this person has a good experience so that I don't know what they're going through today, but I hope that now by by them meeting me in this moment, it can somehow boost their day somehow. Yeah. And I, I, I started doing a lot of mall tours, too, as soon as the show started happening, because I, I got to see a lot of the country, and it was really cool to be able to get that one-on-one interaction, which I think for, like, a fan base is so important because... I want people to know who I am rather mm. than just the character that I am. So they sent me on these like these tours all across the states. Mm. And at one point, it was like I'd film Monday to Friday, and on Friday nights I would jump on a plane and do a red eye flight to some city, It'd be like North Carolina, and then Sunday, Saturday night I'd fly to a different city, fly back on Monday, do a table read, and continue filming that week. So it was like seven days a week. When you say you know you want some, you want people to to know you as you and not necessarily as a character. Did you find that you were able to be authentic or did you find sometimes, like, did you ever find yourself playing, Kay- yeah. like uh, playing a different version of yourself almost? Yeah, you nailed this. Mm. This is something I've never talked about in the film before. But yeah, you're right. You feel sometimes like you're playing <clears throat> the character that they recognize you from. Right. Because, especially with kids too. Totally. Especially younger kids, they expect that you're going to be this fun, mm. wacky guy, which I think I have elements of that, but yeah. You do think to yourself, like, oh, I gotta, like, if I'm at, like, a, a 6, I gotta pump it up to, like, an 11. Right. To make sure that you give them that experience. Because you want them to have a good day. Yeah. And have the best experience possible. It was interesting, though, at some point, making sure I knew who I was. Right. In all of that. Because mm-hmm. suddenly, you're playing a version of yourself on camera, and then a version of yourself off camera. So, and for days at a time, and after a month of doing that every day, you have to sometimes go to bed at night being like, well, who am I at, at the end of the day? Totally. And what do I really want in my career? Mm-hmm. Because once you're playing this, once you're in one lane for so long, sometimes you think, well, I think I'm going to stay in that lane. Especially when other opportunities came up that were like that. Mm-hmm. And Being typecasted. Being a typecast is that kind of project. Totally. You think, oh, maybe I want to keep doing that. Which I actually probably would have been really happy continuing to do that. Mm-hmm. I just happen to have other opportunities come up instead. And you've kind of taken a departure now from 
those kind of, of projects with some of your latest projects. Well, you did, yeah. I mean, you did recently, uh, like American Vandal. American Vandal, yep. Um, which was sort of a little bit more mature, but you were, it was still kind of goofy. But then you did um, Bodied recently. Yeah. Uh, executively produced by Eminem. Eminem. Available um, on YouTube for <laughs> Yeah, great, great movie. I've seen oh, it. Thanks, I've man. seen it twice. Yeah, you're like, you're awesome. You're such a good friend, man. Um, what is it, how, how was that transition from going, you know, for people who haven't seen Bodied, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's pretty serious, you know? Yeah, well, like, I think that, you know, the, the director actually, um, mm. he said something in the interview that, that um, kind of nailed it on the head mm. as to what the experience was like. Yeah. Um, the character in the movie, even though he's a very flawed individual and is not necessarily a good guy, yeah, the element that I was able to connect with him on mm-hmm. is he felt like he had something to prove. Right. And I think from doing a kid's show, sometimes you feel like, not so much that I had to prove it to the world, but that in order to try to do different projects, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to say, I need the industry to see me in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Or else I don't know if I will be able to be seen a different way. Like I right. could be typecast as that. Trying for a to long show time. Th- there's other sides to you're more you're more dynamic. Yeah, and not that I think I'm by doing darker projects, it's any better than doing any other kinds of projects or comedy mm. or sitcom. Right. I think what it what it comes down to is just longevity. Yeah. Is that if you stay in one lane for so long, you might the work might dry up. Like I would love to at some point go back and do a sitcom. Like that would yeah. be so fun. But I know that I need to do something else for a bit in order to bounce back and forth. For sure. Or else. I, I feel like I'm going to be 40 and people will be like, well, you've only done sitcoms. I don't know you're if I can still see you. Pay, you're, you're still playing a teenage kid. Yeah, you're still playing a teenage kid. <laughs> yeah. Caleb, you, I know you can't grow facial hair, but yeah. <laughs> stop playing a 15-year-old. Mm. Uh, yeah, exactly. So the character embodied has a, has something to prove and it feels mm. like he has to um, go against the odds to prove something. That's what I felt in that period of my life. Right. I still feel that way in, in many ways. And that's what I was able to connect with the character on. And all those like final battle scenes, it felt it was almost like the Lose Yourself song, where it's rap, like rap you got one shot, yeah, you, know, you got to you got to do this. That's how I felt as the actor mm. as well. Like I was like, this is an incredible role. It's an incredible project. Mm. I feel like if I can do a good job with this, this could make a difference. Totally. And I feel like if I don't, Eminem's gonna be very very mad at me. It's not, it's not <laughs> a guy that even want to be upset with you. Yeah, no, definitely not. Um, what sort of roles or like if if you could have your next sort of dream job, like what, of course, other than working with Spielberg, yeah. what, um, what would you like to do? What kind of project or what kind of character would you like to play? You know, there's been a transition in my life mm-hmm. that I'm going to be very open about right now. Okay. Where, um, I, I had a very specific vision as to what I wanted in my mm-hmm. career. Like I always thought like, okay, I want to like win an Oscar. I want to win an Emmy. Like I want to do, these um want to be Tom these, Hanks. I want to be Tom Hanks. Yeah. Like you want to be these people that you look up to, and you want to like kind of uh, mirror their careers because they've had success that way. Mm. And I've had ups and downs throughout my career, but I realize now, like now when I think about like okay, well, what do I really want? I want to keep working on great projects, but the reason why I love what I do doesn't have anything to do with making money or notoriety or even having respect, mm-hmm. it comes down to, I just love to have an honest moment on camera. Okay. Like I love being an, or on stage. Like I love, I love being a character and performing and feeling like there's just a real spark and a real honest moment that's happening either between me and the other character or me and the audience. Mm-hmm. 
that to me is everything. Like that's that to me is what I spend hours and days and weeks and months preparing for on set to make sure I have that moment. Because to me, that's that's everything. So what do you mean by an honest moment? Like, what is this honest moment? So it's the moment when you're watching a performance mm. or you're watching a movie and the character does something and you it like it gets your heart. You're like, oh, I'm, oh yeah. I I get that. Like, mm. I've, I've, I felt that. Even if it's in something like Star Wars where it's like, I've never flown like, you know, like the, the Millennium Falcon, but there's something that you can connect with where it's him feeling like he has to prove something or feeling like mm. he's jealous in a relationship or whatever or, it is those, overcoming something yeah those yeah. honest moments of loss mm. or death or birth or whatever those things are like you can relate to it in that way mm. like sparking sparking emotions like something that kind of yeah elicits uh, some sort of reaction within the audience yeah like to me that's that's everything like yeah. that's that to me is um my my passion in life is finding those moments even on that's a sitcom cool. yeah like even when it's like a comedy moment mm. there's moments that i love especially in a sitcom when you have a joke mm. that you really feel like can work with the whole audience. Okay. Like you're like, I feel like all ages, all demographics are going to really like this moment. Mm. And that's what Disney Channel is so great about is they have the, the ability to like write these jokes. It's universal. That like, you know, yeah, like kids, teenagers, Friendly, parents, too, too. and grandparents can yeah. all laugh at the same thing. And if there's nothing better than when you have that moment where the timing between you and the other actors and mm. the writing, it all works. And there's just crazy laughter because of that one moment. Right. And there's always a beat before it. Mm-hmm. Like, you can, like, feel the laugh about to come. Mm-hmm. And it's like you're riding a wave. Like, cool. If I, especially if you want a sitcom, since they're so, so beat-oriented. Mm-hmm. There's times where, like, I'd be about to say something. And I would, like, hold it and be like, look and say the line. And I knew that moment mm-hmm. is where it would drop. Right. And the, the laughter would happen. And to me, that's, like, I don't know. It's just, it's just the greatest feeling in the world. It, feel, it feels spiritual to me. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, having that kind of... You know, connection all, right yeah lots of different people all kind of coming together and, and creating something yeah exactly exactly uh, and do you see yourself doing like being involved with, in other aspects of that then like with with more of the writing and and um that side of definitely the creative process yeah like that for me um in doing austin and Allie, one of the, the greatest gifts was uh kevin heath and disney channel and uh, some people that I wrote, I wrote and produced with Derek and Kelly, like they helped me learn how to write and produce. Mm. That was huge. Cause I've been trying to do that since I was young. Like right. I bought a camera when I was like 14. I was like trying to make like, a, I remember like when I was like 14 or 15, uh, my buddy Reese and I and Nick Chepley, we, um, we made this like half hour sketch comedy pilot mm. that we thought we could like make. It was actually pretty good, yeah. but it was also like just us with a camera, you know, messing around. And I think it was actually I think it was actually really funny stuff. Like, I still think the comedy would hold up. Like, I, th- I mean, maybe that's me being an egotistical 15-year-old, but yeah. I think that we had something pretty cool there. But even then, I was always trying to um, make my own stuff. Because I, I was told, my, my manager have had for the longest time, she was always reinforcing, like, look at the people that have had longevity. Mm. They've always gotten into producing. They've always gotten into creating their own projects. Because as soon right. as you can be a job creator, you're, you have longevity. Right. Um, and if, if people trust you as a storyteller, mm. that's everything. Because that's really what the industry is, is people just Telling stories trusting and... you that if they spend 12 bucks and go see a movie, that your story will likely mm. work out. So in that aspect, with that, like, how do you keep yourself motivated to do that kind of stuff when you're not working? So you know, no one's telling you you have to get up in the morning and write. Like, What are some of the, the tricks that you use or 
how do you design your life to keep motivated to do that kind of stuff? It is, it's, it's hard. Mm. It's really hard. Cause it is, it's tough because a lot of the times there, there aren't, there isn't a lot of structure. And, um, as an actor, you do on paper have a lot of time off in between projects. Right. To me, that time is like gold. Like that's when you can get some of the best stuff done. Mm. Um, that's when, that's when you grow. That's when you, um, learn new things and that's when you can most importantly develop your own projects. So in order to me to like, uh, get the energy to like wake up in the morning and actually do it, it comes down to, um, feeling competitive okay. like with yourself, not okay. with anyone else. Cause I feel like there's other actors and other creators out there that I think, um, are, you know, are way better than me. And I'm not really trying to compete with them cause I think they should just keep doing what they're doing. Yeah. And I hope that we can work together at some point, but I don't think it's a competition, but I do compete with myself. Okay. Like I find that I need to, um, I need to feel like I'm constantly creating or else I feel like I'm, I'm like dying inside. <laughs> I know. Like it's, I know yeah. The like it's yeah. like, if, unless I'm creating, if I don't spend a, if it's, at some point in the day, I don't create something. Mm. I feel like I'm losing a part of myself. Mm. Um, so I, so for me, it depends. Like if I'm, I mean, you could just, every time you go to the bathroom, you're kind of creating and also losing a part of yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, that's so true. So true. <laughs> some, some toilet humor there. Sorry, I had to. You know. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You're always yeah losing and gaining a part of yourself. Yeah, it's the best of both worlds. It's the best of both worlds. Mm. Hannah Montana said it best. <laughs> it's the best of both worlds. Um, yeah. So, I mean, every day I'll go. I, I can't tell you what I what I do in the mornings. Mm. Um, I wake up and I write a gratitude list. Okay. So it used to be it used to be really hardcore. And when I first lived in LA, when I didn't have a lot happening mm. when there was that period between like transition from like the vancouver market to the la market right. it was a lot of time between stuff and i uh i started out by doing writing down a hundred things i'm grateful for every morning every morning wow i did that for about a, about two years mm. every single morning i didn't, didn't matter what time i woke up i'd always do that first thing i'd have coffee and write down my everything i'm grateful for I've now limited that down to more like 10, 25 things, but I do do it every morning. Still. That's still a lot of things. It's still a lot of things. And I try to be very like big, like not think about, um, uh, you know, anything that's like monetary, like nothing to do with money, like mm. stuff that like the stuff that I know I have in my life that can't go away, right. like friendships mm. or family or like love or error or, yeah. um, life like just the, the ability to like create we're very lucky to be alive we're very lucky and i think we live in a, a place where we stress so much about how much we've accomplished mm -hmm. that i think it's so important to start every day by thinking well this is what i have because i'm a human mm -hmm. and that's really an amazing thing to be like it's really great that we're on this earth and i get to wake up totally and i think if you start with that as being an awesome day mm -hmm. your, that's your baseline that's your baseline yeah then you can you can grow from there Right, and I think it's a really, I think it's a powerful place to be because then no one can really knock you down. Yeah, I've I've heard I've heard gratitude being used as a tool by by a lot of successful people um, in a lot of like the self help yeah kind of streams and um, also just in entrepreneurial um, avenues as well. People totally just, yeah, it's come up a lot. I think it's so important because mm. I think it's so easy to focus on what you don't have. Yeah, you start with what you do have. It's powerful. It's like a weapon. Um, sometimes focusing though on what you don't have, uh, can be beneficial as well for you. I know you've been, 
for a long time have practiced or you've had like a vision board if yeah. you're okay to talk about that uh, yeah I'll totally talk about that um, I still in my in my childhood room I have mm. I took a bunch of sticky notes when I was oh, like seen 15 and I wrote down all the stuff I wanted to see happen in my life mm-hmm. and um, and it's funny because it started became it just became a part of my room I mean, it's been 12 years now since I put that up. Those things still are stuck on there. So shut to sticky notes. You guys, they work for a long time. <laughs> I've, I've been like I've, I've been in your room. Yeah. And I've seen that uh, that wall. And the craziest thing was, like, you know, a couple of years ago or so, we actually were in there. Um, yeah. And we actually started to look at some of those, those notes. That, and a lot of the stuff was done. Was done. Yeah. Yeah, it was so weird. I remember that moment. It was a, it was mm. a huge, powerful moment for me because, yeah, I put those things up when I was like 15. And it was like one afternoon. I was just like frustrated. I think I didn't get a job. Mm. I think I was like really wanting to get a project. I didn't get it. And so I wrote down these sticky notes of things I wanted rather than focusing on what I didn't get. Right. And, um, yeah, I remember we sat there and it was like, I looked and there was like 10 things that I had, I had already accomplished. Seemingly and I was like, big Whoa. things too. Seemingly big things. Yeah. Things that I wouldn't think... I necessarily at that point would have accomplished. Right. Not saying I'm great in any way, mm. but I do think there's something powerful about going to bed every night because I always sleep on that side. So I always look on that side of the wall. Okay. And so I went to bed every night seeing all the things that I was hoping to have come into my life. Mm. And I think that's really important. I also wrote myself a check at one point for um, an amount of money that it wasn't a lot. Like mm. looking back, it's not, it's not, you know, anything to write home about necessarily. Yeah. But at the time, it was more money than I could ever imagine getting paid to do a project. Right. I I wrote my, myself a check for that when I was 16. Mm-hmm. And I I really wanted to... to I, 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 was it 15 or 16? I can't remember when it was. But I remember holding onto that check and putting it in my, in my backpack that I would carry everywhere. Like back and forth sweaters and stuff like that. And there was yeah. one time when I was like... 17 or 18 mm. and I I found a check and I was like oh that's really cool and I was like wait and I went online and I remember I dated it for that year yeah and I didn't remember that I dated it for that year so I gave myself like two years I guess of that and uh, I opened up my laptop and looked online and I had that amount of money wow and again it wasn't like I was like set for life or anything. Mm. it wasn't like crazy but uh, for me it was at the time when I wrote the check I could not imagine myself making that much Jim, Jim Carrey did that same thing that's where I got it from right yeah right so how do you go about um, like accomplishing your goals? Like what what are some tools that you use to to go from zero to hero in uh, some of those accomplishments? I love the idea of acceptance speeches mm-hmm. because okay. what I think is great about it is you're coming from a grateful place. Okay, you're not saying, "Yeah, I got this thing." You're saying like, "I want to thank everyone who helped me get here." Okay. And you're talking about the things that you are grateful for in that moment. Right. And so I think, so I, I used to do this a lot. Okay. I still do it a lot. Okay. I, I, I imagine myself, you know, winning the Oscar or whatever that mm-hmm. kind of thing is. And, and, and you and work thinking, on your acceptance speech? It's the work on my acceptance speech. I yeah. Did, I didn't know you did that. I've never admitted, <laughs> I've never admitted this to anyone else. This is a, I'm getting all the good details. This is a podcast exclusive. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't do as much now, but when I was younger, sure, you I know. definitely did. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I, I do sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I do still sometimes, especially if you watch the Oscars. Like, wow, sweet. Mm. Um, yeah, you like have it. You have it in your head of what you want to say yeah. in that moment. Um, in terms of accomplishing the goals, though, I think it's really, really great to set the bar high mm-hmm. and to not focus on what I did do, which was money. 
right. when I wrote the check, but to focus on what you truly want, and, like digging deeper as to like, well, what, what aspect of that dream do you really want? Like, right. I don't really think money will make me happy. Mm. Actually, I know it won't make me happy. I do know that working with people that I look up to and right. that I believe are way better than me mm. is something that will make me happy. Like totally. working on a project where I'm like, oh, I'm, I feel like the underdog here. Like mm. I have to, I have to try to keep up to their level. That will make me really happy at night. Totally. And so focusing on those types of things, I think will inadvertently get you where you want to go. I, I agree with you there. Like something I'm trying to do in my own life is, is also just, and I think it is beneficial for most people is really trying to find the things that you like to do, the things that you enjoy doing. Yeah. And, um, I mean, constructively. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, anyway. Yeah. But, um, and then using that to kind of get to that end goal, but not necessarily like be worrying about the end goal itself. Exactly. Like enjoying, exactly. In, if you're enjoying the journey, yeah. then you've already half won sort of. Absolutely. Mm. I think that if, um, yeah, if, if, if you, if you, I think there's a, there's a great thing. There's a guy that I forget his name. He wrote uh, chicken soup for the soul. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I forget. What he, I forget his name. This is why we need a Google guy. We got we need a, we need a Google <laughs> yeah. guy. Here. Uh, hey he, Tim, Tim, can you Google that? There's no Tim here, but I thought his name was Janice. Continue. Yeah. Continue. Um. So he uh. So he had a really cool quote mm. where he was talking about not quote. It's an interview where he was saying that he said to himself, "I really want to sell." I can't remember what it was. It was a certain number of books that year, and it was an insane number. Like, I think it was like a million copies or something. Right. He and he kept saying it, like he kept writing it down everywhere, and it kept being a mm. part of his life. And he said that he, and at that point, I think he was, I think he was actually in poverty at the moment. I think there was, he was having some really hard financial time. So the okay. idea of doing that wasn't realistic because he wasn't the chicken soup for the soul guy yet. Right. So for him to accomplish that was going to be quite, quite a feat. He kept saying it, putting it out there, and I think he got. I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering this, but it was, it was something to the effect of, he got like 25 percent of that. Right. Which he was like. Are you, I'm not complaining. He's like, I was bankrupt yeah. a year ago, and now I maybe sold like 250,000 copies or whatever it was. And he's like, that was insane to me. Totally. So I think setting those goals and making it very apparent is a really powerful thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I think it holds yourself accountable too. Like I think it's okay to express your goals to other people. Right. I don't think it's cocky. I think it's I think it's actually yeah. really um, good and powerful because I think it holds yourself accountable. Mm -hmm. If you share what you're what you're hoping, I've heard that go both ways though. Uh, some people believe that if you um, sometimes by telling people about your goals or about this accomplishment without actually doing it, it releases um, some of the dopamine like, oh, in your brain, really? like the reward centers. Uh, by just talking about it, it kind of you know half releases. Uh, yeah, those those feelings of accomplishment, which is why you have so many people out there who are talking are talkers. Oh, interesting. That's yeah. that is so fascinating. Whereas some people believe if you keep those goals to yourself, then in order to actually see them come come to fruition, you have to you have to do it. Right. Um, yeah. But I'm kind of with you. Where I think sometimes, and that's where we, friendship comes in. Yeah. Like for someone like you, for like instance, someone, like I a can trusted talk to you person. About. Yeah. About like my, my hopes and dreams and but sometimes and too if you tell the right person about a specific goal, that might just happen to be the very person you needed to tell who can help you make that happen. Yes, I do believe that. I really do believe that 
you know, in my experience, there's a lot of um, people on yeah. exactly there's people yeah. on set who um, are working their way up. Right. Especially like if you're like a production assistant, oftentimes they have goals of doing either being an actor or or director or writer or uh, um, uh, you know the, the various various careers in the in, in the totally. industry. They're almost any career actually, whether it's like sound technician or lighting, mm. everyone often starts at as a you PA. have to start somewhere. Yeah, and it's a great opportunity to learn how a set works learn everyone's position and learn how to how they do their, their job the best mm. i think it's a really if anyone's out there is looking for a way to get into film and tv not certainly on the acting end but on the production end i believe that you know being a pa is a great tool mm. and work your way up the food chain it's it's really fantastic um food chain ladder why would you put the food chain that makes no sense yeah <laughs> work your way up the ladder that way mm. um you i mean being at the top of the food chain is a good thing as well that's if you can do it that's amazing yeah um but yeah, no, if you can work your way at the ladder, I think it's a really powerful thing because you also learn, you also learn what it's like to be a PA. And I think that's, mm. that's, that's huge because you know, the industry or film sets need them. Mm. Like you need people to, to be the, the people that get all the, the, a lot of the grunt stuff done. And it's, it's a really important job. And I think it's so important that people um, respect yeah. everyone's job. It's important to learn though and like pay your, pay your dues and stuff. Yeah. Um, one thing I've noticed with a lot of people who are PAs mm. is it's it's so powerful when they express what their goals are right. on set. Like if they're like, "Oh man, I, just, I really want to be a writer," mm. that's awesome because you're on you're on a film set. Like yeah. this, this is specific to my job, but you're on a film set with writers or producers, people that that could mm. maybe help you out. And I've seen it on sets where there's been people that have been very keen and eager and not you know asking for anything, mm. but just saying, "Oh, I would just love to be a writer at some point." And then seeing the writers say like, "Well." come intern in the, the writer's room next year. Yeah. And I've seen them go from being a PA to a writer. Wow. Within a few years. Yeah, I think it's about taking the steps. You yeah. Know? Uh, it's one thing if you, you have these goals and you're just kind of a broken record and you're you're telling people about these plans you have, these big plans, Yeah. but never actually moving towards it. Right. But it's the, it's the combination of, of making conscious effort to work towards your goals, um, expressing it but not relying on, on just talking about it you know making it making it happen exactly exactly and also mm. yeah yeah exactly Ex expressing them and, and doing the work and and also enjoying the journey too enjoying the journey that's a good one to come back to i like that i think it's so important because you know it's i, I from my experience i've never you know won an oscar or anything but i not I've, yet no yeah maybe we'll see but it, i've never like had that kind of success or like mm. been at that level by any means but you've still found a great deal of success compared to a lot of people out there i'm so lucky man mm -hmm. like it's i really am and I, I know people often say like oh you work for your luck but i i do also believe there's there is luck you know just it's there's a lot of things that just really worked out like right. for instance for us and ali that that audition was very um, monumental in my career mm. i could have been sick that day another guy could have gotten it or totally. i could have not had a coffee beforehand and I just wouldn't have been on my game. The other guy would have gotten it. Like, just a million things can happen for you not to get something. Yeah, eating some bad Indian food or something. <laughs> yeah, like, like what happened earlier today. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, uh, yeah, so that, that stuff that stuff can happen. So yeah. there is there is always a luck component to it. I do believe that you can increase your chances of success mm. in those lucky scenarios. Right. Um, but what's going back to is around, like, what kind of the uh, superficial levels of what people are going after. And I think a lot of the times, I'm talking about my career specifically, people think, oh, well, I didn't really make it until I became famous or rich or any of those kinds of things. Mm. And that's not true. 
Like the thing is, like in my, in my mind, you know, if you're an actor, then you're an actor. Whether you're doing an acting class or you're doing community theater in your town or you're doing Broadway or like a giant movie, right. it's the same job. Mm-hmm. You're doing the same job as everyone else. It's just in a different setting. I, I really encourage people to um, be proud and love their job at whatever level they're doing it at. Um, because I don't, I don't think you necessarily get more joy from doing, you know, a big budget movie than doing a community theater show. Right. And that's what I found was one of my biggest lessons was loving the audition process. Right. Like I, back to the journey, back to the journey. Like I love auditioning Mm -hmm. and I know a lot of people go like, ah, but I don't, you know, you're always worried about not getting it. I'm like, who cares? You get to, you get to go in, you get to do a character they came up with, yeah. with sides that they gave you, and develop this this world in this room mm. for it's a, it's a mini performance. It's a mini performance, You're basically doing a one man show. Yeah, and it's so fun. Plus, <coughs> you get the added element of it being a bit of just competition as well. Right. So it's kind of like for me, that's like my sport. Okay. You know, like I I go into that, it. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> I know. No. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, it's like I I feel like going into an audition. I feel is um exciting you're looking forward to the actual I'm so excited itself. about it yeah and if i don't get it mm. i'm grateful i didn't get it because i want them to hire the best actor possible right. for the role knowing full well that you know if they if, if it's not done correctly their project won't be as good mm. so i don't want to convince them i'm the best guy if i'm not really the best guy i can only go in do my genuine performance do the best job i can mm. and if it works out that they want to work with me that's fantastic and if they want to work with the next guy i hope he kills it it's a very humble before. approach that i think a lot of people don't have you know that 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 you want to see them make the best stuff like that, that's cool that's cool that you have that well, uh, disposition I, well thank you I, th- I think it comes down to i really respect audiences time mm-hmm. like i know there's a lot of people out there who are working you know two three jobs and for them to actually have like an hour and a half to go see a movie yeah. is a big deal. Or, or some time to listen to a podcast. Listen, or some time to listen yeah. to a podcast. Thanks to anybody who's still still listening here. Exactly. You know? or, or, watching, um, or watching. Or watching a TV show. Like sometimes there's people where they're like, oh, I actually, my kids are asleep. I get to watch totally. them for an hour. Totally. And it's like, they, you only, they only get one hour. Mm. I want them to have the best experience possible. Mm. Like I want them to be able to watch something that's with the best storytellers, with the best actors. And I don't want them to watch something that was diminished because they hired the wrong actor wow like i want them to watch it because they got the best actor for it yeah. if i can be a part of that process very grateful if it's someone else hope he kills it because i think oh. i just think people need that that yeah. entertainment i think i believe in the art form you seem really focused on trying to help other people or like trying to make a positive impact and you actually do this in another aspect of your life we're actually quite uh, a proponent for uh, dealing with climate change yeah yeah, I um that started uh you, you, at our high school. Yeah. With Claremont, with our one of our teachers, Mark Newfeld, mm-hmm. who's still a very good friend and mentor of mine. But you've taken this from like the extremes. So Yeah. You know, in high school to meeting and hanging out with uh Al Gore. Pretty it was pretty cool. Pretty cool. I mean it was um it was funny, like talking about uh like putting stuff out into the universe. I mm-hmm. think I kinda did that in high school. Yeah. Because uh there was a moment where I had to introduce Andrew Weaver, who's a, a politician for the Green Party here in, in Victoria, BC. Actually, in, in, in British Columbia, not just Victoria. He's the, the leader of the Green Party. I had to introduce him because he was coming to the school to talk about the environment and climate change. Right. And when I introduced him, I accidentally said Al Gore 
that I was introducing. Oh. And he was like, no, Angie Weaver. I was like, oh, right, no, I'm, I'm sorry. For some reason, I said Al Gore's really? name. Really? Like, yeah. Well, <laughs> interesting. And it, I was Freudian so slip. embarrassed. Yeah, it's I was so embarrassed, and I was like, oh, I'm never, ever going to talk to Angie Weaver again. Because even at the time, I'd read his book, and yeah. I was but a, still I was a fan. But I was Al like, Gore. oh, man, I'm never going to talk to Andrew Weaver again. Mm. And I was so embarrassed. Little did I know, I'd actually be seeing a lot of Andrew Weaver because I continued the work I'd be doing. But wow, I didn't but, know that. Yeah, it was kind of a funny moment. And then I remember the first time doing uh, this show called Twenty Four Hours of Reality, which is a twenty four hour live broadcast mm-hmm. we do talking about climate change. I do. Well, you, you've done this. Th- is it three years now? Three years now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a, it's been a while, and uh, I have to at some points mention Al Gore's name. And I remember the first time saying, and now back to Al Gore. I was like. I just remember that moment in high school, like you got it right. Imagine yeah. you said Andrew Weaver. That... <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Wow. but um, yeah, it was pretty cool. It's pretty cool. But I, for that, all came down to I felt like I'd always want to make an impact in the environmental movement because mm-hmm. my parents were activists when they were young, and I I saw the power of what the seventies and sixties did for the world, and I I know that climate change is this generation's movement. I feel like right. every generation has responsibility to, to change certain things. I think this this generation's changing a lot, and I think it's it's going to go down in history as a generation that really fought for social justice totally. on many issues. Um, things I feel like changed drastically in our generation, and then yeah. also fast, very fast. Like we make changes and then we stick to them. We or... stick to them, and and there's so much information out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, I think the parents of, of our generation and the next generation have done a really good job. I also think social media has given them a huge platform and also totally. a huge amount of information instantly mm. and for the ability to connect to other young activists. So when I focus on the climate change movement, it's mostly because, one, I believe it's the greatest threat. Well, I don't believe. I know it's the greatest threat to, um, to our planet. Mm. But I also feel like there's so many... Um, movements of the moment and the world kind of focuses on a movement here and there and i think it's great that we i think that it's important that as humanity we continue those movements and they don't just stay moments like the me too movement continue to i really hope that it continues on right um the hard thing about the climate change Mm. issue is there's a huge number of uh organizations fighting really hard to make sure that it doesn't continue right so you're constantly facing false information from yeah. media and also from from big corporations about it, which means that sometimes it can take a back seat in the conversation of social justice issues. Things, things people get distracted really easily. They do, yeah, yeah. And I think that with the with the environmental movement, it's one that we can't forget. We need to be focused. And I think sometimes we 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 tend to, mm-hmm. and so that's why I've chosen that as my um my my cause that I focus yeah. the most on. One because it means the most to me. Um, and I believe I believe we can fix it, and we can we can we can really make a huge impact right now. But it's also because I, but one of the reasons why I, I keep pushing it so hard is yeah. because sometimes I feel like it gets a little bit of a backseat in the conversation. It definitely does. It definitely does. Yeah. Um, that's why I want I wanted to make sure to mention. Yeah, it I'm so glad yeah. you mentioned it. Yeah. And there's also the other thing I, I work with is um, not to pump the things I'm working with, but I do think that they are very very special organizations. One is uh, the One Organization. Okay. Yeah, and it's um, yeah I remember, yeah. And it's working to uh, to help uh, educate girls in developing countries mm. and fight for uh, women's rights in developing countries as well. Uh, there's 130 million girls who weren't able to go to school today, and um, wow. I, that number needs to change because truly educating girls is the key to most of the world's greatest challenges, including climate change mm. as well. 
that ties in that ties in nicely. Yeah. Um, what is the just before we kind of wrap this up? Yeah. So I mean, what is the the next step for you? And what kind of what's what do you want to see really happen in this world? Um, I want to see us come together. Mm-hmm. I I believe that some of the issues we're facing uh, transcend borders, mm-hmm. and I, the climate change issue truly does. I think that no matter what walk of life you have, what your belief system is, what your values are, what your religion or political party, this issue will affect you. Mm. And um, it's going to affect you in, in, in many different ways. And we're already seeing the effects of it as well. So I think it's important that we see it as a, as a global issue right. and not just see it as um, an issue that that uh environmentalists care about it's it's a world issue everyone it's a world issue and i think that and it it might be kind of uh optimistic of me to to think this but i do believe that this issue could create some kind of like kumbaya moment for us all around the world i think people work really well together when we're fighting a common enemy and i like you see in world wars we see us coming together as a country Mm. to fight something and countries aligning and coming together to fight an enemy. We need we need aliens. Yeah, we need aliens. We need, we need aliens. aliens to come, I think yeah. climate change is our alien. Right. Like I think that's our alien. It's mm. like we're fighting something that's from within. Mm. But if we can fight it together, I yeah. believe there's strength in that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you on the uh, the internet? You can find me on social media uh, at Caleb Worthy on Twitter and on Instagram. Mm. I don't use anything else. Maybe I should. Do you yeah, use Facebook? I, a lot? I, uh, not really. No. We're friends on Facebook. I have a personal <laughs> yeah. Facebook. Yeah, we should get like websites or. Yeah, man. Or something. Uh, wow. Anyway, we I think we just did a podcast. Mike, That's crazy. I, this I is gotta the say, first man, podcast. Like this was this was pretty amazing. Yeah. This was really fun. Like I fun. I hope I didn't talk too much. That was the whole point. Was it? That was okay. the whole point. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, if you haven't already, um, I don't know how you do with podcasts. Like and subscribe. Yeah, I think you do that. Yeah, check out the YouTube channel. A lot more content to be coming up in 2019. And check this guy out. You know, this guy is one of my best friends. He, uh, he's, he's truly someone that I look up to in so many ways, and he's been there for me the hardest moments of my life. I look to him for guidance, and he constantly encourages me. Something that you do that I gotta, I gotta do a little shout out for you as well is, okay, Michael. He's very, he's a very caring friend, and I think I don't know if you, if you like have some kind of power to feel things in the universe or something. A vehicle there, power. There's many moments where I've felt down, and I randomly get a text message from you that says. Mm-hmm you're great. You're going to have a great day today. Mm. Or like, be awesome today. Like tidbits that you're throwing out there. Mm. That's, man, is that ever powerful? I, I'm like that can change appreciate that. a whole day for me. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, man. I think, I think you do, you do a lot of good work in your life. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah. I'm trying to do some more. I'm you trying, are. You trying are, to man. keep it going. Yeah. Um, anyway, guys, thanks for listening and uh, tune in next time. Can I be a guest again at some point? Yeah, fuck yeah. Let's do it, man.